Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, so today is really, really special. I'm actually on Zoom with Donna Leffler. She's all the way in Upland, California. And of course, I'm here in Michigan today with the snowy weather happening over here. Uh, but it's so cool, Donna, because I got to meet you at a John Maxwell conference. And the minute I met you, I knew it was you were going to be a lifelong friend. And just hearing your story and every uh, the adversity that you went through is just absolutely incredible. And it's so cool because both of us are bright pink ambassadors, which is really, really awesome and such a cool story to tell. And this last couple months, of course, was September and October, which is Breast and Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And so this just goes so well with this. In fact, last week I did an interview with an incredible woman that uh, combated ovarian cancer. And so I just can't wait to unfold your story, Donna. But Donna started her coaching, teaching, and speaking business in January of 2016, a fellow John Maxwell coach with me. Um, this was after a year-long battle with breast cancer. And then you realize that the stress that you had been under for so many years most likely contributed to getting sick. Uh, so from that experience, your company, uh, Midlife, Mid, Mrs. Midlife was born. Mrs. Midlife was born. So I can't wait to unfold and unpack that story. And Donna, who is Mrs. Midlife, uses her 50 plus years, we're giving away your age, right? <laughs> real life wisdom to gently guide women who wear too many hats and are stressed may I add, overwhelmed and completely maxed out in how to calm their mind, develop laser focus and cut their to-do list in half. Oh, I can't wait to unpack that one. <laughs> so they can get more done in less time while feeling relaxed and renewed. Wow, I feel better already, Donna. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Unlike other productivity experts out there who teach traditional and often boring time management, Mrs. Midlife uses a fun, creative approach to teach people, pleasers, how to enjoy saying no to anything that does not serve them so they can live a balanced life, the life they crave and deserve. Well, first of all, I know that you are actually a fellow Michigander and you graduated at MSU back in the day, we'll say, right? And That's it's so right. cool because I heard that uh, you graduated and you were a clinical laboratory scientist, which is really cool. I'd love to unpack that. You've been married 31 years, actually close to my marriage, 33 years, which is awesome. And what's really awesome about you is hearing that you had twins twin boys at the age of 38. Hello. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and you also have a daughter and you had your first grandchild. You and I are, are pretty much in the same level here. We both have a grandchild one year and under as well too. So how fun is that being a grandparent? 
Oh my gosh. You know, I really struggle with the idea of being called grandma. And I even went online and I looked up, I looked up all the names in different languages that set, that meant grandma because I didn't want to be called grandma because I felt too young to be a grandma. Right. And so, <laughs> so I found Tutu, which is Hawaiian for grandma. Yeah. And so I said, they're going to call me Tutu instead of grandma. But guess what? after he was born and after I'm with him now, I am so embracing grandma. And so. <laughs> uh, I love that you're embracing grandma because I, I decided that one of my next books is going to be called Be a Grandma because I want to be a grandma T and I'm trying to train my nine month old grandson to say grandma T. I want it to be his first word. I don't think it's going to happen, but we're trying every day. Uh, so grandma T. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be called grandma D. Oh, <laughs> so we're so much alike. I know. So let's unpack this because, um, first of all, let's talk about uh, your journey to get to where you are today. I would love to hear the story of you graduating at MSU as well, too. Talk about your journey. Okay. Well, gosh. Okay. So I went to Michigan State University and I loved the earth sciences. And so my sister, who was in pharmacy school at the time, encouraged me to go into the medical field. And so I, um, I think I was just talking to different people at the college about the different programs. And I decided on clinical laboratory science. Truthfully, you know, I was so young at that time. I don't think I was able to think through it that in a logical way. I just thought, okay, whatever, I'll just major in this. And then I thought actually at one point that I would like to be a physician. And so I took a lot of, lot of classes and did a lot of work in the medical field in order to apply to medical school, but I didn't get accepted. And so I really felt that, okay, I just need to take, take a few steps backwards, maybe work for a while and um, see where that leads me. At that time, I had also met my husband who, who was also at Michigan State at the time, uh, we weren't really dating. We were kind of just really good friends, which truthfully was the first time that I met a man that I didn't date him and we got to be really good friends first, yeah. right? And so that was a hugely, um, I felt like it was just meant to be that we met each other. So, but I told him I'm moving to California because my family's moving to California as soon as I graduate. And so he said, oh, well, that's okay. You know, I, I think I'm going to move there too. And I was like, yeah, right. And so <laughs> he did. So we both moved to California. We got married shortly after that. Um, I never did apply again to medical school. And I worked as a clinical laboratory scientist for about 12 years. And yeah, we had our three children living here in California. So it's really like I had the dream life, truthfully. I stayed home and homeschooled my children for, gosh, eight years. I think we did that. And um, I didn't work at that time, you know, and uh, life was really good. So, yeah. So I, do you want me to talk about the rest of the story? Or? <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you homeschooled twin boys. In your I mean, <laughs> how hard was it to have twins or just you just didn't know any better? And you're 38 years old. Yeah. No. Well, actually, my husband and I, okay, we had our daughter. I think I was 32. Yeah, we had her. And that was our first child. And then um, we tried to get pregnant for like four years and I just didn't get pregnant. And so I just figured, you know, I'm not gonna do all this infertility stuff. I'm good with just a daughter. We were good with just a daughter. Then lo and behold, I miraculously got pregnant with these twins. 
wasn't doing any kind of fertility, infertility stuff or anything like that. And, um, and I didn't, we didn't know, of course, until I had the ultrasound, I said, I don't know, I'm just really sick. This must be a boy, not a girl, because I feel way different with this pregnancy. And the ultrasound text there, and she's like, oh, that's because there's two babies, not one. And I just about fell over. My, <laughs> my husband wasn't even there. He was in New York because he's a stockbroker and he was doing some training um, in New York. <laughs> And so I, uh, yeah, it was that it was a big shock when they, I realized I had twins, and you know that pregnancy was really really difficult too. I ended up on bed rest for three months at the end, and I was so huge it was like literally like a circus sideshow. I mean, I it, because it was straight out like the way I carried them, and they ended up doing a C-section and they, and they were born early at seven pounds, 10 ounces and seven pounds, five ounces. So almost 15 pounds of baby. They were the biggest babies in the County that we lived in. Like I set the record for that. And then three days later, a lady broke the the record. (laughs) Three days you had the record. I love it. For three days. (laughs) Right. And so it, we felt like, um, we felt like we were movie stars or something like everywhere we went, people would stop and say, Oh my gosh, are they twins? Or I'm a twin and tell us all these stories everywhere. We went with the babies. It was, we felt like we were always in on this show or something. And so it was really a great experience. We, even though it was really hard, I had help from my mom. She lived here in California too. And so uh, I had help and also hired some people to help me when I was on bed rest. So, but again, you know, it's almost like, like God puts me in these situations that I need downtime because I've always been this constantly busy, overcommitted person. And so he forces me into these situations. So I think I can, I really have to sit and listen and meditate and pray, you know? And so that's, I did a lot of that during that time. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh man, that is incredible. And, and then why did you decide to homeschool them? Like my hat's off to you for doing that. That had to be so hard and it's just so neat that you did that. Yeah, it really wasn't that hard. Um, you know, it kind of happened. My daughter was in the in regular schools and it seemed like she was never really getting the challenge that I thought she needed. Mm-hmm. And they kind of refused. To, we didn't really want to move her ahead of grade or anything, but they just refused to give her more challenging work. So it kind of started there. And then we went into private school, put the boys in private school too. And I just kept thinking like, I just want to influence them more because they were kind of like getting out there to the world. It seemed like in a direction I wasn't really happy with. It was mainly this private school that we were at that there were very wealthy people there and they didn't, they kind of flaunted it. So I just felt like it was not a great um, thing for them to be in or around. And so I ended up um, just think think I'm going to try this for a year. My, our daughter was starting seventh grade and our twins were only, I think, second grade, first grade. And so we ended up um, just trying it for a year. But our kids, now they don't get this from me, but they're just so like self-motivated and and intelligent that I would just give them the books and they would read it and do the work. And we did this online curriculum, which was not uh, anything with me. I just would give it to the teachers, right? So I just kind of had to make sure that they were doing the work and they were. So it wasn't really that hard. you know, I don't know if they will end up homeschooling their kids. I think in some respects, they thought it was a really good experience and some other, they felt like they sort of missed out. 
but we got involved in so many things. There's a huge homeschooling community here where we live. And so we were involved in classes and, you know, all kinds of things outside sports, all things outside of our curriculum. So it wasn't like they were isolated. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's incredible. I love that. And it seems to be a big, huge movement right now. And I'm hearing about it. It's a real big movement, especially in California as well. And I know Michigan, there's quite a big movement here too. So that's really, really, really cool. And I, I, my hat's off to you for doing that <laughs> as well. So I think this is going to be called be an influence. And just hearing some of your story and how you've influenced so many people and started with your children. And I believe that leadership starts at home. And so the very, very fact that you decided to influence your children, I think is just absolutely incredible. And so let's, let's dig real deep and talk about your story uh, when you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Talk about that. Okay. You know, I think I really like the name Be an Influence because I have something to say about that that's been on my heart for a long time too. But okay, so my breast cancer, um, you know, I, like I said, life was so good and our kids were older, our sons were almost, our daughter was in college, our sons were almost graduating from high school. And I um, was playing tennis every day, I had lost a bunch of weight, I felt super great, better than I ever have. And I was trying to think, maybe I wanna start a business or something, or maybe I'll go back and work in the hospital work. I was really like kind of soul searching, trying to think, and lo and behold, um, one day I was rushing around, it was Father's Day actually, and this is um, the story that I tell a lot when I, when I speak. Um, I was rushing around as always, like, you know, a million things to do, a million things in my head, not really, um, you know, just feeling all stressed out. And it was Father's Day and we were gonna go visit my dad at my sister's house. And so I jumped in the shower thinking, you know what? I'll just um, hurry up and get ready and we'll be on time. And so I'm washing like crazy. And all of a sudden I found a lump in my right breast and I had gotten mammograms regularly. And so this was kind of like, oh my gosh, what is this? And then I just kind of thought it's probably nothing, you know, like people get these things and it's nothing. So I'm just gonna, so that night I didn't tell anybody. And the next morning I called my doctor right away and they got me right in that day. And they ran all the tests, you know, the tests came back and they told me that I had breast cancer. And I was just like, how can this be? I mean, seriously, how can this be? I take good care of myself, so I thought. You know, so that's where, um, I mean, it was a shock, but through that journey with breast cancer is how I, I've realized that I was living this ridiculously fast paced life. I mean, I would stay up all night lots of times just to get stuff done and get two or three hours sleep and then think, oh, I'll just catch up later. You know, like just burning the candle at both ends. And so um, that's why now I decided that that's what I really need to help other people. And I think we just have so many opportunities. It's really hard to say no, right? Yeah. Yeah, so when you found, let's back up a little bit, when you found that breast, had you been doing regular breast exams? I would say I was doing breast exams, but not really regularly. And that's what was so weird about this time because I was rushing like crazy, just trying to get in and out of the shower as quick as I could that day. And for me to just find it. And what's really weird is that a lot of times I hear the same kind of story from women now. Maybe they've been doing breast exams and maybe not, but all of a sudden it's like their hand will just go there and they'll feel something. And, and so, you know, I don't know why it happens that way, but 
Um, I was doing breast exams, but not regularly. You know, like I wouldn't time it like every month and I'm going to do this. So, you know, I, it was like a miracle that I even found it seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and what, what type of breast cancer was it? Stage one, two, three, four. Okay. Well, first they told me it's stage one okay. and that I was just going to need a lumpectomy and, um, radiation during surgery and that that would be it. And it, you know, it looked great. It, like it wasn't going to be a big deal. Well, after they, after I had the surgery and they did all the, um, you know, they took the lymph nodes out and they did all the testing. They found out it was a really aggressive form of cancer that was fed by estrogen and, um, that it was going to require a lot more heavy treatment because it already was in the lymph nodes, which is really weird because again, it didn't show up on the, on the, um, the MRI. It didn't even show up at all that it was in my lymph nodes, but when they did the tests, it was. And so they had to treat me like a stage two, but it was sort of like a weird in between situation, but because it was so aggressive, like it was like one or two months from the time that I found the lump till we had the surgery, it already had increased in size by quite a bit. So, um, yeah, so I ended up having to have a whole year of, of um, chemotherapy and surgery and then, well, surgery first, then, then chemotherapy and then more radiation. And so I was like the first person that ever had been double irradiated also because mm. they didn't, they treated me differently at the beginning. You know, so it was kind of a weird situation. Like, I guess everybody, every situation is different with cancer. You know, that's so compli complicated. Yeah. Did you have a mastectomy too, or just surgery to remove? No, I just had surgery to remove. Now, knowing after the fact, I probably would have because it's a, it was such an aggressive cancer. I probably would have just done the mastectomy. But my doctor really recommended that I just um, not go that route because he said it's really invasive and, you know, just to um, just he felt really confident with the way they treated me that was going to I was going to be good. So, yeah, yeah, so I'm like almost five years out. Um, in May, it'll be five years since I start, since I've been on tamoxifen, you know, and so that'll be the point where they'll decide if I can say for sure I'm cancer free. So up until now, I've been no evidence of disease. What's tamoxifen? Tamoxifen is a drug that they put women on um, who have not been in menopause yet, which I wasn't at the time. And it just basically wipes out all of your estrogen, like so that it cannot feed the cancer. You know, so it's pretty harsh. I mean, there's a lot of side effects with it, weight gain. I mean, of course, it throws you straight into menopause. Um, but I'm just thankful every day. You know, I, I've just tried so much to keep my spirits up and to keep my hope up, which it seems like I just have this gift now since the cancer of to just say, oh, my gosh, life is so good every single day. Yeah, I feel like I think I met you right after mm -hmm. you had just been coming out of it. And uh, I can't imagine that it was easy to go through that year long. Like, talk about the, the stress of that, the adversity of that. What was that like for you? What was it like for your husband, your family? Talk about that. Yeah, this is, um, it was so, uh, you know, it's almost like I went into survival mode. And I knew I just had to take, like at that point, do everything I could possibly do for myself so that I didn't, so that I could get better. And so my husband went into his man cave and he didn't come out. He just couldn't even talk to me or deal with it. So 
thank God I had, I have really awesome girlfriends and my girlfriends, oh my gosh, they just rallied around me. I had so much love and so much support. People brought food for the whole year. They sent me cards. They would send me little gifts. They brought me to my appointments, to my chemotherapy and would sit for three hours with me while I had these infusions. And it was incredible. Seriously. Like I didn't even know that people could love so much. (laughs) What a gift, but it was really hard on my family. My son, um, my son actually was in a regular high school, one of my twins, and he got kicked out of, out of school um, mm-hmm. because he just was doing, he couldn't deal with it. So he came home and he was with me. And I have to say that that kid, I think saved my life. I mean, like I'm gonna try not to cry here, <laughs> but he was only 16 at the time. And he would go to the store and get stuff. He would make me smoothies because my throat was burned from the chemo and I couldn't eat really. He would make me smoothies. He waited on me hand and foot. But what I didn't know is that he was falling into depression. He homeschooled himself during that time. And um, he got through, he graduated from high school and took care of me. So I just, gosh, who knows why these things happen, you know? But um but now he's doing, he's doing great, you know? And so, um, yeah, like that, that was a super hard time of my life. Probably the worst, the worst thing I've ever been through for sure. Did you lose all of your hair? What was that like? Yeah. All my hair fell out. And, um, I didn't really think it was going to bother me that much. Truthfully, when I talked to my doctor and he said, okay, you're going to have chemotherapy and all your hair is probably going to fall out. I just went, oh, okay. And he said, you know what? You're the first woman that I've told that that didn't start crying immediately. He said, it's almost like they're so worried about their hair and nothing else. And I said, really? I don't know. I guess I'm not that worried about it. And I, I had like, I have my hair really short now, but I had longer hair at the time. But I felt like, oh, well, it's just hair. Like, you know, okay. So when all my hair fell out, uh, I would look at myself in the mirror some days and I thought I just looked like an old man. It was horrible. Like, I really didn't think that I was going to take it that hard. And I did. And so, gosh, I can laugh about it now, but it was really hard. And I almost always wore um, like a scarf or a hat. But I figured out that I was wearing these hats all the time. And I bought all these really cute hats. I found the cutest hats I could find online because the wigs would itch my head. So I decided to just do hats. And people would notice, they go, oh my gosh, your, your hat is so cute. And immediately I would launch into this, oh, well, I don't have any hair. You know, I have cancer. And then one day I thought, why am I saying that? They're just complimenting me. I'm just going to say thank you, you know? And so, um, so I started doing that. Like, yeah, just, oh, thank you. You know, I'm smiling. And I think at that point, I couldn't hide behind anything. I didn't, ha- I felt so bare that I couldn't hide behind anything. And so I learned that if I just smile a lot more, that people respond to that, you know, and they're not gonna see anything else except the smile. And so that kind of trained me during that time going through with no hair and with cancer and these hats that I felt weren't me because I never wore hats prior to that. And then I started feeling like, you know what? If I just smile, that's all people really want is to see somebody happy, so powerful. Wow. So here, here's what I'm hearing from you to be an influencer or to be an influence on people. Number one, you have to be a survivor. 
And, and so I want to unpack that for a moment before I share the other two that I got out of what you said, but how did you go into survivor mode? You know, here you were, um, which I, I, I know is so common for the spouse to just go into survivor mode. I remember, uh, when he went into his man cave, my husband, the same thing when I was diagnosed with a precancerous lesion. And I know for me, if anything happens to my husband or my kids, I freak out and like, I can't help you because I'm freaking out at moment. there's something that goes in your head. Like I can't lose my spouse. Right. And so how were you able to go into that survivor mode? Like what was the transformational moment for you to go there? That's a really good question. You know, no one has ever asked me that and I haven't really thought about it, but as you were asking me that, I thought, you know, when you look at your life and the journey that you've been through, step by step, everything that happens. That time when I was on bed rest with my twins pregnant, you know, I don't know how many years was, that was like 20 years prior. Well, no, 16, 15 years prior. But that's almost like it laid the foundation for what I was dealing with later with the cancer. Because when they said I had to be on bed rest, I could only get up once a day and go sit on the sofa and that's it and just get up to use the restaurant room and nothing else. Again, my husband was like, I don't know what to do to help you. I can't, this is way too much for me. So I found this angel of a lady. She came and she took care of me and she cooked and she cleaned and she did the laundry and she waited on me hand and foot. And the, what I was thinking, the thought process at that time was that I have to do everything I can so that these babies live. Like I had worked in hospital work. I had seen babies born way too early. And I thought these babies cannot be born too early. I have to do whatever I can. And again, like I sat there and read the Bible pretty much every day and prayed about it. And, um, and so after I hired this lady, that was sort of like, like the permission I gave myself to make sure that I took care of our family. And so now like fast forward to this cancer time, I think in my mind and probably in my subconscious, I knew again, like I, I cannot leave my family. So I have to do whatever it is to get through this, whatever it is. And so (laughs) some of the things that I did were kind of ridiculous, you know, when, uh, well, ridiculous. Now it seems ridiculous at the time it was survival mode. Um, I only wanted to eat bagels with cream cheese when my throat didn't feel burned. (laughs) So (laughs) I never eat bagels and cream cheese because, you know, to me, that's like not that healthy because it's white flour usually and, you know, all that. (laughs) And so, (laughs) but it was sort of like this comfort thing, the only thing I wanted. And so I just said that I don't care. I'm eating bagels and cream cheese every day if I want to, because I have to get through this. And so I did, you know, and yeah, I I actually gained weight during my cancer and not lost weight, which most people lose weight. So, um, and cream cheese, right? <laughs> exactly. It was like my comfort food, I think. But mm. anyway, and oh, and chocolate pudding, like rich chocolate pudding <laughs> with a lot of whipped cream. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but it kind of um, like, I guess looking at it now, of course, I always say that, that God was there for me every step of the way. Although during the darkest times of my cancer, I felt like he was not there. It was really weird. You know, I don't know if you've heard of this like dark night of the soul, but it's a spiritual experience sometimes that people go through where they feel like no one is there and they're just in this darkness. And I felt like I went through that. But the thing is, when going through that, I kept searching and searching and searching. And that's how I found 
the whole idea of becoming a coach and starting a business. So, wow. Yeah. So what, what caused you to go into uh, searching? How did you, what was that transformational moment for you and yeah. not go there on the dark night of the soul? Cause I keep thinking up Psalms with David cause you know, when he, he was just in that dark, you know, moment and just calling out to God. So yeah. You to search. That's exactly right. You know, I, um, okay. So I would just lay on my bed, like in abandonment. And I would say, if I'm going to die, I'm, cause I thought I might die seriously going through it. I felt so sick and I had seen people in the hospital get infections and not come out of it, you know, because it's so, so hard, the treatment. So sometimes I would just lay on my bed and it was almost like I felt like Jesus on the cross. And I would just say, I don't know why, just take me if you need to take me. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this myself. And um, through that time, I started to develop this really high anxiety and I couldn't really even hardly drive. And so that's kind of what prompted me to start the searching was I have this ridiculous anxiety. I've never had this before. It wasn't really like panic attacks, but I couldn't, I would be driving and maybe it was all the medication and everything I was on, but I would feel sometimes like my car was floating in air and it would be this weird distorted feeling. And then I would feel so anxious that I didn't even want to get in the car anymore and drive. And I knew I had to drive because I had so many things to take care of still. So I started searching for books that had to do with anxiety. I, and so um, somebody told me about a program that was a self-study and it was all about how to decrease stress and anxiety. And so I started, it was like CDs at the time. So I'm listening to these CDs and it started to really help. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is powerful stuff. Some of it was meditation. Some of it was listening to recorded meditation, meditations. So I did exactly what they said and it started to work. And one of the books that was in that study that they recommended as like extra help was a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Dr. Shad Helmstetter. And so I read that book and I tell you, Tina, it was like I dropped to my knees sobbing because I knew that that was the answer because I just always thought, you know, I'm just a, a, a busy, creative, disorganized person. I'm just like for many, many years telling myself, I just have to keep going. I just have to keep, you know, um, staying up all night to get things done because I can't do anything else. It's just how I am, right? Just to, like, this is how I am. I can't do anything about it. But in that book, he talked about, and this book was written in like 1979, I think. So long before all the current, like a lot of this information is out there now. So I thought, oh my gosh, this man, he has so much wisdom. And so he had these recordings online that I went on and um, got them. I started listening to them and that was helping even more. And I felt like I was healing, really like really healing and getting all this energy. And so I actually made the decision to go um, study with him. That was the first introduction to life coaching. Like I had never even really heard of it prior. And so he had a program and I ended up going through his program before the John Maxwell program. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. I think that's everything because when I look back and I think about um, all of the people that I, that work with me and there's so many of them that struggle with anxiety and so many people that I know struggle with anxiety. So let, let's unpack that a little bit because that's pretty incredible. What are some pieces of advice that you give to combat that anxiety? And it's amazing that God had you go through that adversity and that now you're an advocate for people with anxiety. So let's unpack that a little bit. Some yeah. advice 
for those really struggling with anxiety? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is for people who struggle with anxiety to know that they're, they're not alone and that there, there are so many people struggling with this right now. And I don't know all of the reasons why I it's, I think it's a combination of the lifestyle that we live, especially here in the United States. But interesting enough, I've met people in other countries who say they're having the same kind of, um, issues and problems with anxiety. And the thing with anxiety is if it goes on and on, some people then start to get depressed because again, like I'm so anxious, I can't drive. So I'll just stay home. You know, they start to like, oh, I'm so anxious, right? I have a panic attack. If I'm in an elevator, I just won't get in elevators, you know, so it can really start to restrict your life. And that's where people can get depressed. And so, um, to say that you're not alone, that's the first step. And just be aware of how this is not like you're a crazy person. This is not like there's nothing you can do about it. There's a lot, lot, lot you can do about it. Now, what I found was really, really powerful for me was just listening to something that with repetition. And the way that I look at this, and this is what Dr. Shad teaches is let's say that you want to learn a new language. Like let's say you're going to go visit Italy next month and you want to learn some Italian. Mm -hmm. And so what would you do? You'd probably like get some recordings and you'd start listening to them. And our brain responds very well to that. Now the anxiety triggers parts of your brain that are well-established brain patterns that it's like, that's just what you're used to. And your body is really just trying to protect you. That's why it'll keep going to that, that, um, that brain pattern that creates the anxiety. So by listening to good and positive and truthful things over and over, it kind of like tricks your brain into creating a new brain pattern that doesn't go straight to that anxiety. And, you know, I don't know all this. I don't think anyone knows exactly how this works. Uh, it's like a form of cognitive therapy and psychology. But it's really, I found it really effective. And um, my daughter, who also struggles with anxiety, she listens to those recordings too. And she says, this stuff is like amazing, mom. Like, how come you don't tell more people about it? And I say, you know, I, it seems so simple, but like people won't believe it's really going to work. But this is the thing. You have to do it very much repetition, like two to three times a day, repeat, repeat, repeat. And so interesting now I create recordings I'm going to start probably doing this for other people soon, but I'm just kind of doing it for my own self right now. And so I, I don't know if, do we have time to, for me to explain something real quick with yes, this? Please. this? I think this okay. is just everything right now. Okay. Yeah. We have to uh, brainwash ourselves because yeah. we're totally going there and how, and scientifically proven how negative thoughts can destroy our lives. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And neuroscientists are showing and proving this with the technology we have now because we can see such small, small, small things, you know, like um, neurons that are in the brain that it, they're showing that when you're all stressed out and depressed and all this, your, your cells look dead, like a dead tree. And then when you're, when you're happy and you're vibrant and you have good chemicals flowing through your body, um, that these trees look like a live plant. It's really kind of bizarre, you know, but real. And I love that science is finally proving what the Bible has told us right along, you know, to renew the mind that we have to stay in constant, um, you know, good thoughts and renewing our mind and 
always looking at the good side of things, even though it might be difficult sometimes. So um, what I wanted to say about the recording is, okay, my, my dad, God bless him. He's a, he's a wonderful man, but I think it was partly that generation where he just couldn't really show us a lot of love and affection. You know, we have, we have, I have two sisters, so we had three girls and he always wanted a son. And I think he just felt awkward around us. Right. And so I kind of just through a lot of self inner work realized that a lot of the things that happened between me and my dad, when I was younger, set up these negative brain patterns and maybe even some of the anxiety resulted from that. It's very, it's deep stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I did the other day is I, um, for the first time I sat down and I created a recording that was the father that I never had. And I talk about this father. And to me, it's like God, the father, I see God, the father in this recording, but you know, say if someone is not um, thinking that way, they could just create the father in their mind that they never had. Now this isn't changing reality. This is just tricking our brain to believe that my dad, because if my dad could have loved me, like I wanted to be loved, I know he would have, I know he would have, and he just couldn't because of his own woundedness. So I'm not blaming him. So I created this recording and it, I put like birds singing in the background and like beautiful um, music. And I talk about my father is so amazing and so loving. And my father, he embraces me. He rushes to my side. He gives me hope. He wants to hear all about my dreams. He wants to tell me how beautiful I am and how I'm his princess. And like, I'm going to start crying again, but you know, when I, I listen, I've been listening to this. I will, this is only a week out. Okay. And when I listen to that recording, I can feel inside of me. Like I envision we're taking a walk where there's beautiful birds and grass and flowers. And my father is just loving on me and, you know, like hugging me and kissing me and telling me how wonderful I am. And I feel like, I feel so comforted. So I know this is going to work, you know, with some of the issues that I have right now that I'm struggling with. I know I can feel it inside of me that this is going to work. And so um, I sent it to my daughter too. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. So I hope that I'll be able to maybe create these for other people in the future. You know, like this part of the work I do with my coaching is we get to the heart of what is the root of, of, you know, and there's a lot of things, but there's usually a couple of things that are stemming from around age eight or before five to eight, where we have this distorted truth, you know, that was from something that happened and it, it's not the truth, but we see it, saw it through a child's eyes. And even as an adult, we can't, we look back and say like, um, I don't, I don't, that doesn't make logical sense to me. But at the same time, we can't, we just keep, it keeps surfacing over and over and we don't know why, you know, it's that subconscious pat brain pattern that we cannot put our finger on. Like, why do I keep, why can I not get organized with my home? Why do I keep saying yes? Like I, I, I'm a people pleaser. I want everybody to like me. I can't take, I can't say no. I always overcommit. Why, 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 why do I, and we just can't get past it. So when you get to the root of that and then you create the polar opposite you know, like every single thing that my dad did that made me unhappy or cry or um, feel bad, I just reversed that into the complete polar opposite in this little talk that I give myself, you know, and so um, I don't know, it, it might sound a little bit corny to some people, but man, it works. Yeah, yeah. it works. And, and I love that because I think that's part of being 
uh, be an influence. So be, I, first I said, be a survivor. Uh, but I think the second one is confront your past and what's the root of the pain, because what you don't act on, uh, what we don't act on from our past, we eventually act out. And it's interesting. I just heard a statistic, uh, Donna, from scientists that 50% of what happens to us, what we think happens to us actually didn't happen to us. So we actually only remember about 50%. So it's amazing how your brain can just trick yourself. And I attribute that a lot to, uh, for me, uh, just like going ne in the negative thought. So let's, let's think of it this way. I'll make it real simple. So I could walk into my business and I could do all my focus on everything that's not working, or I could walk into my business and think about everything that is working. Right. And so one of the things that I've trained my brain to do over the years is to think about everything I was grateful for with my family everything that they gave me and to understand that hurt people hurt people. And like you said about your dad, he wasn't even capable of giving that type of love. And we treat our, and what I, what I feel like we've done as society, we treat our parents as if they're God and we just need to stop, just stop it. Cause they're not God, they're human beings. And that's why this podcast, because it's B series, the B series, untold stories of leadership transformation, because we've been focusing so much on being human doings. And you're a perfect example of that. Like, so just keep doing things right. And cover up the pain, right. And we just get so busy and we cover up that pain of our past that we thought really happened and said, focus on what was working with our lives and how can we use that to help transform our lives and others. So I think that's number two, confronting our past. And then number three is creating that, those new brain patterns. Yeah. Beautiful. What you said, just constantly re renew your mind. I always think of Romans 12 too, is just be constantly renewed and transform your mind. And so it's just like so incredible. And then number, um, I would think the next one is be supported because I love that you talked about that because you allowed people to support you. And, and why am I saying allowed? Because I think so many times people will be sick and then some people offer to help and they're like, no, thank you. I'm okay. No, you're not. You, you know, if it's free help, take it. <laughs> <laughs> just take the help. And when someone offers me, I'm not kidding. I don't know where this came from, Donna, but when someone offers me help, I always take it. I always find something for awesome. them to do because I know that they're not asking because they're just trying to be nice. No, they really do want to help. And so as you're sick and you think of something that they could do, well, yeah, I could really use this. I had a friend, she had breast cancer and I kept saying, what do you need? What do you need? So I ended up, um, and I just kept like searching what's her need. So I kept having my team, I was out of town a lot. So I had them keep bringing um, different things from Paul Mitchell to her as gifts. Wow. And then I figured out she needs somebody to clean her house. So I ended up paying uh, my uh, cleaning person to clean her house for a year. While she oh, wow. And That's Awesome. It's just like, what can you do? Like read between the lines. Like don't just give up on somebody when you're offering to help them. And just when they say, no, it's okay. Think of something. There's something you can do. And maybe it's just paying for them to have their house cleaned. And she said that it gave her so much 
peace of mind to know that her kids were running around in a clean home while she was sick because she was, you know, throwing up and just really ill all the time. And she could not take care of her kids and her husband was at work and then, you know, getting people over there to um, help watch her children was, you know, the other part of it as well, too, because that was really hard. They were really young kids, you know, of course, running oh yeah. So wow. be supported. So take that support. Say yes to support. Yes. You know, that's, I used to give a, a talk on that actually. Um, it's been a while, but it was what to say and do when someone tells you they have cancer. And I started, I think it was two years ago. I started giving that talk about because, okay, it's not always what you think. And so one of the thing is um, don't say, don't ask, just do, don't yeah. ask, yeah. just do. Like, don't ask, like, what do you need? Because mostly women will always say no, most women. And no, I don't, I'm okay, I'm good, because they don't want to inconvenience anyone or bother anyone. So instead of saying, what do you need? Just say, you know what? I would like to take you to your, your chemotherapy appointment next week. What time is it? What day is it? If I can't do it next week, I want to do it the week after. Or, you know what? I'm going to bring you some food by today. Um, if you don't have any requests, I'll just fix you my favorite, favorite meal. And at least like, if you don't want it, your kids will eat it, you know, cause, because again, it's hard for women to say a lot of times to ask for help. And so that was one of the things in that talk. That's so cool. Yeah. And I, in fact, I used to, I took her to a couple of her appointments, this friend of mine. And then I also took her after I would take her, we would go and get a pedicure and a manicure. Too. Oh gosh, that's so oh awesome. God. And it was just so fun to just be with her and to see her smile. And it was just so nice to be able to kind of, you know, help her through her day, you know, and just lunch. And it's things that we do anyway as women. And so just take that risk. And she said her neighbor um, did not come over at all. And she was really, really sad. And, and then the neighbor came over a year later and said, I just want to apologize for not coming to your aid and being there for you. She said, I want you to know I was just so afraid. I had so much fear. And so that's just reality of people are just afraid when they hear that word, you know, cancer, with someone having cancer that they're just scared. Did you find that in your life that people were afraid and could you notice, did you have to kind of like calm their fears? Did you have to go through that? Yes. Process? Yep. And you know what? Um, people feel so awkward even now. Like when I see somebody I haven't seen in a while, they'll say, so are you, are you, you know, they'll do that and, and they won't be able to even say, or, or they'll say, are you okay? Or, you know, I'll say, oh yeah, I'm cancer free. I'm good. Yeah. Oh, good, good. You know, but um, yeah, it was really hard, especially when my hair fell out and some of the people would see me and be shocked, kind of shocked and feel really awkward. And so um, I started like kind of researching because then I had a friend after I was through cancer that was diagnosed and and what I, what I found was a really good thing to say to someone is to say, wow, you know what? I hate cancer, but I just want you to know that I love you and I am here for you. Yeah. you know, and that, that is just so comforting because people don't want to hear, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad because you already feel bad enough. And then you feel like you're putting it onto other people and making them feel bad because you have this thing that you can't even help, you know? And so just to say that, um, 
that yeah it's 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 bad. I mean, one guy, he came up to me and he said, oh my gosh, that just really sucks. You don't deserve that. Oh my gosh. And that kind of was comforting me in a weird way, you know, because I didn't, at least he wasn't saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I feel so terrible. You know, he was just saying what the truth was. This just is really bad. And I'm just mad that you have to go through this. So yeah, that was another thing that I used to talk about when in that talk that I was giving. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Never say I'm so sorry. <laughs> exactly. And I think even when someone passes away in your life, like I think people just need to watch their verbiage and you see on social media and I'm like, Oh, why'd you say that? You know what I mean? Just, just be there and just say, I love you, you know? Yeah. And so I, I love that. I think this is a really, really great podcast Donna, because I think a lot of people are listening to this right now that just need to be just gently corrected right now, just in their responses with people as well too. And I think the next one I put down to be an influence, and I love that you said this, just increase your gratitude. And part of that is smiling. There's something that happens to our bodies when we smile. And how many people do you know that just never smile? And I just want to say, here's a coat hanger, <laughs> put it in your mouth. Yeah. Because I've known in my own life, people always say, wow, Tina, you sm- you're smiling all the time. And I'm like, because it's easier. Frowning takes a lot of energy and smiling does not. It's actually a lot easier. So talk about that process. Have you yeah. been a smiler? And how did you create that? Because I know there's a lot of people in my life that have said, you know, I just really struggle with smiling. I really don't know how to do it because I never did it. So talk through that process. Okay. Well, no, I I wasn't always a smiler. That's the thing. When I was when I was younger, um, one day I was walking. I don't know if I was at work or I don't remember. I was walking down the street or something and I passed by a, a man and he said, why do you look so down? You're such a beautiful girl. You should be smiling. You know, and that was many years ago. And so I think I, I didn't even realize that I, that I didn't smile until somebody like kind of called me out on, on it. So then as I got older and really, again, it was probably when I was going through the cancer journey. Um, I don't remember the exact time, but I started thinking, as we get older and gravity starts to take a toll or play, you know, like our skin is going to start to be a little saggy. Our, you know, our body is going to not be the same. And I thought this is a way for free that I can just fight the aging process is to smile because it's lifting everything up, right? Like the areas where women pile on all kinds of expensive creams. Like we can smile. We get to smile and it's free. So the other thing in, in all the researching that I've done on in the different ways that I that I learned things online is that it's been scientifically proven that when you smile, that your body does release endorphins and good chemicals. So that it's just, again, another way, an easy and free way, even if you have to force yourself to smile, your body still creates these good chemicals, which are very healing and nurturing and, and even anti-cancer. You know, so, and, and weight also, because when your cortisol is high, you tend to gain weight. And so these, the good chemicals that are released, you know, like serotonin and the um, oxytocin and these chemicals that make you, your body um, think it's younger even. So yeah. smiling is really a powerful thing. And so I, yeah, I work on it. It was not, it did not come easy to me, but when I started uh, again, like convincing myself that this is so necessary and, and I think 
you know, like say you, you're going out of the house with no makeup on and you just, you have to go get something. You're like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't run into anyone because I have no makeup on. My hair's a mess, whatever. And then when I have those moments, I just say, you know what? I'm just going to smile, smile, because it's, when I smile, people respond and it doesn't matter what I look like in any other way externally. I and it makes I you feel good. It does. And laughter and laugh, like learn to laugh at yourself, right? To be an influence. I think you have to learn how to laugh at yourself too. And I did something so silly yesterday. I was taking my mom to the doctor's yesterday and she's in a wheelchair. So I'm pushing her in the wheelchair and not thinking going into this hospital to get her to the doctor. And you know, those round uh, doors that go round and round. So I'm putting her in the round door and it's not moving. <laughs> back out so push push the handicap button to go through the other doors and my husband was like wow I can't believe you just did that I said I can't believe I did either so I was <laughs> laughing so hard and my mom she's like you're just a mess you know and I'm like I know I'm cracking up <laughs> I was just dying of laughter but you have to learn to laugh at yourself because laughter is medicine is good medicine, yeah. period right and so learning that I think is part of being an influence and, and something else I just want to touch back on too, again, because, um, and I know as a bright pink ambassador, you know, this, and this is probably the main crux of what we teach when we do these 30 minute bright pink workshops for women to help them prevent breast and ovarian cancer. And it's know your body and know your normal and like really listen to your body period. And I Absolutely. think being you have to know your body and know your normal. Talk through that process for you. What's, what has that been like since you've had the cancer and how has it shifted and changed for you? Okay. Yeah. This has been another huge thing that I really love that I have discovered. And that's how, how to really tap into and listen to my intuition. Mm. And now for me, I say that's where I think we're I mean, no one can prove this, but I think in our, in our subconscious, in our intuitive mind is kind of where our spirit lies also yeah. and our, and our connectedness to source or to um, God or to, um, you know, the infinite. And so that's where all the answers lie, but you can't really hear that little quiet voice that is there unless you are in a calm state, you know, you're, you're meditating, you're praying you're not even relaxed. You're usually very alert, but very peaceful, very calm. And then when you hear that little voice to really trust it and practice listening for that little voice and practice doing what that little voice is telling you. And sometimes it'll tell you what you don't want to hear, but to still say, okay, I'm going to take the steps to do that anyway, because I trust that this is the, the voice of, of knowledge of wisdom and so um, I do some meditating, which is I kind of combine with my prayer, but it's getting into this state. And I'm telling you, even the creative parts of, say, my business or having the courage to get out there and do things that sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, they're just going to think I'm a crazy old lady or something like this is probably crazy. But these thoughts and ideas come to me. And then when I get them out there, it's just attracting more and more of the people that I want to be in my life because they're like me, they're on the same page. And so having the courage to step out, you know, and listen to that little voice and do the things that, um, you know, and create the things that, that I'm, that are coming to me, you know, through being in this intuitive type 
type state. And so I kind of, I really just started doing this through the HeartMath program. I don't know if you've heard of HeartMath, no, but it's a, um, it's a biofeedback device. And I'm now certified with HeartMath to teach this to people, but it's a biofeedback. It just connects via Bluetooth to your phone and there's an app and you do a little meditation five times a day, which includes breathing and focusing on positive gratefulness. And, and um, it shows you in real time how your body's responding to see that the, that the meditating is really working. Because meditation is hard because you don't know if you're doing it right. You don't know if it's really doing anything. You know, but people, I mean, it's been scientifically proven also that it does change your brain patterns and that people feel very good and have healing and all of these things, good things happen. So I got certified in heart math and I, I um, can kind of do it without the biofeedback because I practice it so much now, but it's basically training people to meditate effectively so that it works for them. You know, and again, you can combine it with whatever religion, it's not religion based, whatever you do anyway, you can combine it with that, which is really super great. Cause what I do, you know, I I'm a Christian, I talk about it openly, but I work with a lot of different kinds of people and I'm open to all kinds of people because I think we're all in this world together for a reason. You know, I know we are, and we have to link arms and find what's, what's similar and what's right and how we can work together, not what's different. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Wow. Okay, let's not take that because that's something new. I've never heard of this. And and I think I'm going to call that number seven to be calm. It's funny. I have uh, one of my staff members, her word for 2020 is calm. So I, I'm going to tell her to listen to this uh, because I think this is going to help her. And I told, I always tell my staff, I'm like, listen, your words, all of your words become my words, just so you know. And so I know I need to practice that calm. My word is going to be new for 2020. And calm, I think, is part of it, too. And so this is something I've been trying to unpack and learning how to meditate. So give us some quick advice of how to meditate, even if it's just five minutes a day. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Once you learn how to really focus, it only takes about five minutes twice a day. So, wow. yeah, I would recommend um, one thing that's free that I think is really excellent is USC's um, mindfulness app. And I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's, it's through the University of Southern California and through their mindfulness program, they have an app, which is free. And there's a whole slew of recordings on there. So maybe even just to start there. Now, um, the HeartMath program, heartmath.com, go there and... Um, they have all kinds of science that re, that backs that their program really works. Um, Kaiser Permanente, big hospital, is uses it for their physicians and their ER nurses. Um, the the Navy SEALs use it. The military is using it. So HeartMath is like a really well established. Even though I had never heard of it until recently, also. So, but what I love about it is that because I have a science background and I don't like to promote things that I just are kind of woo woo and, you know, everybody says this works, even though we have no way to know really. So that's why I love HeartMath because they have a lot of science and research and there's tons of stuff you can learn off their site too. You know, so of course, breathing is number one, you know, breathing calms the center of your brain in the amygdala where you, you get anxiety and where you feel stress. It, just by deep breathing. And in, with heart math, we teach heart focused breathing. And so what that does is it gets your focus on the area of your heart 
and you just, you breathe in a little bit deeper than normal, but you visualize the air flowing in and out through your heart. And because it's called heart math, the heart is very powerful. And again, throughout the Bible, we talk, it talks about the heart, you know, and the, how the heart is just the center of your so being. And so, um, again, this is some science that hasn't been totally established yet, but that they're finding that the heart, when we're in a state of, of peace and calm and gratitude, that our heart secretes a hormone, which they haven't quite identified yet, but it's highly anti-cancer. Because have you ever heard of anyone that has gotten cancer of the heart? I mean, yeah. it, it's possible, but very, very rare. And so that's why they started studying the heart. Like, why do people not get cancer of the heart? And so that was the theory that there must be something going on with the heart that keeps cancer out of the heart. And so this is what they're finding is that there is some new, you know, new, it's not new, but they haven't identified it yet, that especially when you're in a state of extreme gratefulness and gratitude and joy, and you just feel that in your body, that your heart starts to secrete this, this substance. And so looking back through my life, I know I had a lot of resentment. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of hurt that I was holding on to. And, um, and I believe that now, I don't know for sure. That's why I got cancer, but I believe it set the foundation for me to probably end up getting sick because that's, that's bad chemicals. that's going to be going through your body and not the good ones. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I could I could probably talk forever, Tina. <laughs> it's like... no, I think this is so incredible because I think just like check check what you're thinking about. Like always think about what you're thinking about, right? Yes. Is it negative or is it positive? Because not only can it cause cancer, but it can also. I mean, we know stress causes so much, but we just kind of fluff it off and like, oh, I'm stressed out all the time. Stop yep. it. <laughs> exactly. I hear that from so many, especially women. I don't work only with women, but my, for the most part, I have a feminine branding. So mostly women come to me, but I hear that over. I'm just all stressed out. I'm just all stressed out. Like it's, I don't know. Like it's, it's like a label people put on themselves and like, it's okay. And they laugh it off and think it's funny. And it's not, it's not funny. <laughs> Stop it. No. Right? And I think we're seeing a lot of the emotional eating with women and we're, and going home at night and having to drink a bottle of wine every night because they're so stressed out, you know? And so it's that, again, putting the band-aids on that are creating an unhealthy environment. So it all goes hand in hand, but the thinking always, you know, whatever is in our mind is going to play out somehow in our, in our life. That's beautiful. Yeah. Think about what you're thinking about. And, uh, and I love that. Be calm, listen to the voice of knowledge and wisdom. And so that's really, really beautiful. In fact, on our mastermind last night, uh, we've met, we have an online mastermind we're doing. And I just said, we always do a little breathing exercise before we get started too, because it really sets your mind uh, to start, you know, being really open to transformation on the calls. And so I think you really have to get your mind set. And so number eight, this is what I put. So I want to unpack this a little bit. I put the courage to share your dreams. I think to be an influence, you have to have the courage to share your dreams. So now um, let me give you a couple scenarios here. So on the call last night on the online mastermind, um, I said uh, to them to have the courage to start sharing your dreams. And so it unpacked an incredible dialogue. This is a mastermind, right? So this dialogue was, 
oh, but just be careful who you share your dreams with, right? You don't want to share them with everybody. And I said, well, um, I understand that. I said, but I beg to differ. I'd like you to share your dreams. And I've done this personally. I've seen it for myself. Share your dreams with someone you know is not going to support your dreams. And the reason why I do that, Donna, is because it helps increase my courage, but it also helps me to figure out my why and to see if I'm gonna be resilient because stuff is gonna come against you. When your goals are that big, things are gonna come against you. And I don't know what the percentage is, but very, very few people actually reach their dream that they want. And most of the time it's because of resistance coming against them. And so in my mind, if my family's against my, my dream, and I've got to keep giving a why and keep getting them to get buy-in, right? Because leadership starts at home. And so in order to get that buy-in, then and only then I feel like my dream is actually going to come true. I remember when I first shared with my family that God spoke to me and said to do a thousand salons and they thought I was nuts. And I <laughs> giggled because I'm like, good, I'm glad you think I'm nuts because this is a God-given dream. It's not my dream it's him and i don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime mostly my grandchildren but honestly like they're kind of buying into it now it's been five years later and they're starting to buy into it now and see like this is possible but it's taken me to really really sell the dream to them so what's your opinion on this and what has been your experience um you know i think with me and getting my business out there uh it's been a, a long journey it's been, I've been in, I've started my business in 2016. So it's been almost four years and I just, um, felt like I was really hurt whenever anything happened that was against what I was trying to create, especially if somebody would leave my face or people would leave my Facebook group or they would unlike my business page on, on social media, you know, or they would opt out of my email campaigns. And I was like physically feeling it in my body that, oh my gosh, they don't like me. I'm not good enough. And so this, especially this last year and going through this journaling process of each decade of my life and trying to figure out who am I and what do I really want? You know, what do I really want to do? And that to realize that not everybody is going to want this, what I want. And that that's okay. And in fact, I don't want those people in my Facebook group. I don't want those. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm rejecting them, but if they, if my voice doesn't resonate with them, I really don't want them to try to be a part of what I'm creating and that that's okay. In fact, that's a really good thing mm -hmm. because it's going to create, it's going to, I'm going to, as I fine tune my message more and more and more, it's going to attract the people who I can help. And, and so I, I'm going to call this on number nine, be rejected. Okay. <laughs> be rejected so you can attract the right people. And it's so funny you said that because when I first started with my blog and, and different things that I've been doing too, I used to be so offended. And then I realized because now I'm a disc trainer, a personality trainer um, and a consultant. And I realized that high I, which I'm a high I, I bet you probably are yeah. too. Yeah. To be an influence you have to be an eye a high eye right um one of their biggest fears is rejection 
And so um, whatever you fear, you have to do next. And so I was remember, I was training a salon owner recently and I said, okay, so your biggest fear is rejection. So this week I want you to get rejected. Literally like two hours later, she texted me back. She said, I was rejected. I said, tell me more. And she started carrying that. And I'll tell you, she's made some real big shifts in her uh in, in her business and being able to really lead people properly because now she's not a people pleaser, but more of a people challenger. And so that's been really, really incredible, but to be able to embrace rejection so that you can only allow the right people that should be in your company. And, and there's so many business owners out there that are so afraid of losing team members. And I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid because I know 21 plus years being in business that if someone leaves, I know God's going to provide somebody because I've watched him be so faithful to me time and time and time again. And it's funny when you were talking how God kind of closed some doors, he closed a door to going to medical school, but look at the wide open doors that he's given you and, and just the really full life that you've had and the influence that you are. And I, I love, love your business. Tell us a little bit more about your uh, business, the Mrs. Midlife and how can people get involved? <laughs> okay. Um, gosh. Okay. The Mrs. Midlife kind of evolved a couple of years ago because I, I was thinking that I wanted to just work with women who are at midlife because I thought surely they have the same challenges that I do. It's like we're the sandwich generation, taking care of our children who are staying longer and longer at home. And then our aging parents who we're, we're so worried about and having to help them. And so certainly I can help women. So I created a Facebook group and I ran some ads to that group. And there were like literally 300 women a day coming into that group. Wow. And I was just like, totally overwhelmed and they started posting all this stuff in there about how um all their problems right and i just got so oh my gosh i don't have answers for all these women what have i what have i created here oh my gosh and so it kind of started with that and then going through you know all the uh, the journey of trying to discover exactly what i want to do with my business i decided that i don't want to just work with women at midlife i want to work with all women who are open to my message and so, so, but I liked the Mrs. Midlife because it was something again through a meditative state that kind of just came to me. So I thought, you know, Mrs. Midlife could kind of be like a dear Abby. Like she could be mm. Mrs. Midlife because she's been around for over 50 years. She probably has some kind of answer for you. Not that I have all the answers, but that because of all the real life stuff I've been through, I can at least guide you and help you with what I know. And so I let, so I kept Mrs. Midlife and because, you know, what's funny, a lot of young people really liked the name and they kept encouraging me. Some people that I know in my business, um, <laughs> they kept saying that they, that keep it. Oh my gosh, we love Mrs. Midlife. So I decided to make it into like a, a fun cartoonish, bright colors, happy, you know, Mrs. Midlife she's embracing midlife. She, she's not rejecting that she's getting older because she knows that more and more wisdom will continue to come as I keep getting older. And as long as I can take good care of myself, God willing, you know, I'll just keep going. And so, so that's kind of where um, Mrs. Midlife came from. And so now I focus mainly on helping people with the stress reduction, managing their life, managing their time, practical stuff to start out with. But it's always more rooted in a deeper 
issue, right? It's always like you have to peel back the layers and get to the root, like we were talking about earlier. So that is always what ends up happening when I work, when I, you know, work with clients is that we get deeper into the real meaning and then to rewrite that so that their brain is freed. You know, like the subconscious stuff is never going to go away. It's in our head. Our brains are the most powerful computers that ever existed, way more powerful than any computer out there. So it's going to, it's going to keep that information from way back when but we can lessen those brain patterns and create new brain patterns, which are much stronger, but with the repetition that we were talking about. So, you know, I teach, and so I teach a lot of that too in my business. Do you do group coaching, one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching, all the above? Yeah, pretty much all the above. What I've been working on this last year are like three levels of programs. The lowest level is what I call my Sketchaflex planning system. And I developed a book, which is basically just a, an ordinary sketchbook. And I teach people how to use it in creative different ways. They can use it as a planner, as a journal, as a uh, um, sketchbook or a doodle book. And all of this is to reduce stress and anxiety and, and use that time to nurture yourself that you just write in your book with colored markers and you can use stickers. It's, it's just like fun and happy. Yeah. And so I have that as my lowest level and I do workshops for that. And then my mid-level is the heart math and I call that Tranquil Heart Academy. And so that's an online program or I can do it in person, but it includes that biofeedback device. And then my, um, the top level right now is I'm actually creating women's retreats which I hope that those are gonna be all over the world because I love to travel and I wanna travel more. So my idea is that I'll bring groups of women and we'll have wellness retreats, which is again, de-stressing and learning how to take the spa home with you so that every day can be a spa day so that you don't have to go to the spa as much because you, you treat yourself that way every morning or you know, um, how, whatever works for you. And then again, that's my one-to-one um, my -one coaching. So my big vision is to take um, my coaching into a community of women also, so that they will be like-minded, they will be able to support and encourage and help each other reach their highest potential and their highest goals in life. And so that's kind of in the works with my one-to-one my, uh, -one and group coaching. Wow. Incredible. I just, I love your story and I, I love your tenacity that you've had. What's the best way to get a hold of you, first of all? Okay. The best way is to go to my website, which is mrsmidlife.com and spelled M-I-S-S-U-S. I just, that was like, again, that's a real word. People, what's that? M-I-S-S-U-S. Mrs. It's a, it's another way of saying M-R-S. <laughs> Mrs. Midlife. Yes. So mrsmidlife.com, um, anyone who would like to schedule a call with me, I always offer a free one-hour call. Um, I also have a new stress assessment that I would love for anyone if they were open to taking this assessment through HeartMath. It's science-backed, shows you where your stress is at, and then a follow-up call with me. Um, and my calendar is on my website, and you'll, it's all, the button is all over so they, they can see it. But what I would really love to offer is I have a freebies tab on my website. To go to the right, there's a freebies tab. And I have a couple of things there that I would love anyone who would um, enjoy it. I have a self-care for women ebook that I wrote that's for free. And I have a, um, my five most favorite chocolate recipes, and I call that take a bite out of stress. 
And with the holidays coming, you know, as women, a lot of times we feel, oh, we have to bake and we have to bring something like homemade cookies. And I don't have time. I'm all stressed out about this. So these chocolate recipes are only 10 minute, no bake chocolate recipes. And they're delicious, like the most delicious gourmet chocolate. So I have that for free on there too. They can just, oh, um, yeah. I'm totally going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a baker, so this will be, I could do that probably in the 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And you can get cute little bags that are like on Amazon that are made. In fact, I have a link, I think in the book, you can get cute little bags, you know, break, I, I make um, like almond bark and I break it up and put it in these cute little bags and then you can just give it as gifts. Really simple and easy. I love it. I love, I love the name. This is midlife. <laughs> That's absolutely beautiful. Okay. So here's what I came up with uh, to be an influence. And why do we need to be an influence? Because influence, right, is what leadership is, right? It's nothing more, nothing less, right? And so number one, uh, be a survivor. I love the tenacity that you've had. I'm just so proud of you and, and just so happy that you've been doing so well. Uh, number two, I said, uh, or excuse me, number two, I said, confront your past. Number three, create new brain patterns. Uh, number four is be supported. Number five, increase your gratitude, increase your smiling, right? And then number six, know your body, know your normal. Number seven, be calm. Listen to that voice of knowledge and wisdom. Number eight, to have the courage to share your dreams. Number nine, um, be rejected. And then number 10, here's what I came up with. Uh, be a dear Abby. We all need to be a dear Abby because we've all been through some real life stuff and we all, every single person listening to this, anybody, I don't care who you are, you can be a mentor to somebody. Somebody out there needs you. And so what do you think uh, I missed here to be an influence? What other advice do you give as we end out this podcast? <laughs> okay, so this is the thing that I want to put out there is that especially to women who are say age 45 to 60 and in that age range or around that age range, um, we can start to feel like, uh, you know, my beauty is fading. I'm, I can't remember things anymore. And we can really start to get down on ourselves as I'm just not good enough. I'm not, I don't have my youth or it's fading, right? And so to, instead of thinking that, to think about how can we influence the younger women? How can we influence the younger women using our wisdom, which is surely all of us, you know, I've, we've talked about our stories today, but every woman out there has a story. Every woman has experience, good and bad. And through everything that is bad, come some kind of knowledge that we can use in such a powerful and effective way to help the younger women. Now, maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't, but when you have stories to tell, it's very powerful. And so my daughter is 26. We're very close. And I, I, well, that's another thing that's been on my heart is to create some type of community where there's the older women and the younger women, and we get together and we share. The younger women can bring youth and vitality and new ideas and innovation with technology. And the older women can bring, well, you know what? This is what I learned from being married this many years. This is what I learned through going through this divorce. This is what I learned from having huge twins. You know, whatever the situation is, we can help, I think, the younger and really unite together. 
and not be envious and jealous that I don't have my youth anymore, but to embrace it, own it. Believe me, when I, when I stand up in front of people and say, I am Mrs. Midlife, it felt really weird at the beginning. I thought, man, they're going to think I'm totally crazy. But I knew it was just what I had to do. And so by owning it, it becomes very powerful. So that's, that's what I wanted to say. I love that. And I think that number 11 is unite with the generations. And, and I'm 100% with you. And I've been able to do that because I'm in the salon industry and I have the Palmetto school. So I have, you know, 18 to 26 years old. And I always say to people, I'm like, listen, I cannot hang out with people my age. They're too old for me. This is what I am with all the 18 to 26 years old because they make me feel young. Yeah. And we all need each other. Every single one of us need each other. So unite with the generations. Stop complaining about the generations and instead unite with them because we have something to learn from one another. So I love that we couldn't have ended this out better. Donna, thank you so much. I knew this was going to be epic and it truly was. Thank you for being an influence. You're an amazing woman. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.